Welcome to the Gospel for Life podcast. We help churches make disciples. And now, here's your host, Daryl Dash. Every generation faces the temptation to wander from orthodoxy, to seek out the jolt that comes from false teaching, and to drift with cultural currents. And so every generation must be awakened again to the thrill of orthodoxy, to experience the astonishment that comes from stumbling afresh upon the electrifying paradoxes of the Christian faith. And that's why I'm so glad that Trevin Wax has written his book, The Thrill of Orthodoxy, Rediscovering the Adventure of the Christian Faith. Now, in my uh, best books of this, this past year, I put it as my number one book. I've really appreciated it. It always feels like Trevin has been reading my mail and he's speaking to the issues that uh, we're dealing with in our local church. And I'm not the only one. There have been other, many other book awards uh, that have listed his book as well, uh, The Gospel Coalition and Christianity Today. And Trevin is writing about the need not only to rediscover, rediscover truth, but also to be thrilled by it, to inhabit the ancient castle of orthodoxy, one with spacious rooms and vaulted ceilings and mysterious corridors. That sounds so amazing. That's exactly what I think we all want to do. Uh, Trevin Wax is a vice president of research and resource development at the North American Mission Board. He's a visiting professor, a former missionary, a prolific author, and uh, recently he's also the creator of an excellent podcast called Reconstructing Faith. Trevin, it's so good to have you back on the podcast. It's great to be back with you, Daryl. Thanks for having me again, and thanks for the kind words about the book. Trevin, I always love a good beginning to a book, and your book begins with an amazing sentence. The church faces her biggest challenge, not when new errors start to win, but old truths no longer wow. I love that sentence. Sometimes I'm uh, leading communion, and I think, how did we get sometimes bored by the fact of what we're celebrating here? Why is it that old truths start to get a little bit boring or old hat to us? I think it's something in human nature that we we wind up uh, getting over overly familiar with beauty and wonders that are around us. I mean, I you you may have seen there was a clip um, a few years ago from a comedian who was laughing at and kind of mocking people who were complaining about their flight, you know, and they're like, uh, and he's like, wait wait a minute, so. You're sitting in a chair in a in the sky, you know, like you're go you're going through the air like a bird, and you're upset about they ran out of peanuts and pretzels, or you know, you can't get your little video to work or whatever. <laughs> and I, there's just and everyone laughs about that because I think there's something there's something to this 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 fact that we we just we it's like we constantly lose sight of the things that we have to be grateful for, the beauties and wonders and things that have been given us. And uh, it must be human nature, but it happens. The, the, the thing is, it happens with creation and it happens with redemption. And I, I, I kind of want to get to both in the book to say, you know, open your eyes to the world around you and then open your eyes to the world of God's love and, 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 and make sure that we're, like we're, we're walking with eyes wide open into the to the beautiful truths that we've been that we've been given. So obviously a little bit of the story uh, of this book must be autobiographical. You love theology. How is it that you came to love theology and orthodoxy in your own life? 
I mean, some of that's probably personality and temperament. I would say, um, you know, I'm, I've ever since I was in high school, I was definitely, if you ask my parents, I was definitely an, an arguer, you know, um, and not, not in the sense of just being cantankerous, but really just pressing on arguments, like trying to, like, I would, I would argue points to my parents and almost exasperate them because it wasn't even that I necessarily agreed with what I was arguing. I was pressing in and pushing really hard to see if their points held up before I would, you know, believe them. So I think part of it's probably just personality and temperament. Um, you know, by the time I got into uh, college, I think college is really where my mind came alive to, to, to there was just so much of Christianity that I did not understand. I had a really good biblical foundation. I had a, a strong, overarching, I think, theological structure. But um, college is really where I, you know, I, I, I really, I had to, I felt like, I felt the desire to really dig into the riches of the Christian faith because I was doing cross-cultural ministry. I did college in Romania, in Eastern Europe. So my, you know, and it was an Orthodox, it was an Eastern culture, not a Western culture. And so there was, there was just so many aspects of you know, why do we do church this way? And what, you know, the differences between American evangelical churches and Romanian evangelical churches? And why, what are the differences between the evangelicals and the Orthodox? And how do the Orthodox relate to Catholics? And what, like, what, where am I in the Christian tree? Where am I in church history? Like, what, what is all of this? So for me, it was sort of, a, you know, for the last 20 years or so, it's really been this, this journey into greater exploration of the depths of what the gospel is and what, you know, how, how, wh like where I am in this broader stream of Christianity and how these beautiful truths have been delivered to me and how they've come to me over, you know, through my parents, but then through, you know, generations and generations of faithful Christians. And so, so yeah, I mean, to me, it, you know, I have a, you know, even as I've done like generational work, like, like finding out a little bit more about my own, you know, background and my ancestors and whatnot, I realized there's like a really strong, Christian lineage in, in some of the different, you know, threads, if I follow the family tree up that I'm just really grateful for. And so it's been, it's been fun to explore those things alongside of, you know, theology and to, to come to know God better. At one of the first gospel coalition conferences, a buddy of mine said, oh, you won't believe what I did for dinner. And he said, I, I went out for dinner with Trevin Wax and he preached the gospel to me. He made it beautiful to me. And, uh, I think that was before I, I think you hadn't even written any books yet at that point, but I, I still remember thinking, I wish I had been at that dinner to uh, be able to hear you preach the gospel, but I'm glad we get to do that now. Uh, your love of theology came out. Um, I mean, that would have been probably 15 years ago, 15 years ago plus, right? Yeah. Well, who was that? Was it, was it Nick? Nick Mitchell. You remember Nick? Okay, yeah. Yeah. I remember Nick. Yeah. Yeah. You remember that dinner obviously too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I wish I had been there. That would have been really good. So Tre Trevin, oh, go ahead. No, I was about to say he's a fellow Canadian with you, right? He is. Yeah. That's he's right. from Toronto. I remember that trip because I think I was asleep in the hotel at five o'clock and he phoned for some reason. So it was like, dude, what are you doing calling at five <laughs> in the morning? <laughs> but no, that was good. So Trevin, um, I grew up in a church that emphasized orthodoxy, but I don't remember them ever emphasizing the thrill or the beauty of orthodoxy. And it was almost like, we've got to defend the truth. And, uh, but we're, we're not really paying any, I am sure that there was a love of the truth, but there wasn't really, a uh, any talk about the beauty of truth. 
why is it so important that we recover not just the truth, but that the truth is actually beautiful and thrilling? Well, because I think without that, we lose confidence in the truth. I, I, in, in that, and that's one of the burdens I have. I think there are a lot of Christians today who, who still maybe affirm the essentials of Christianity. They, they would be orthodox on paper, but who are really unsettled by aspects of Christian orthodoxy or, or Christian social teaching, morality, and things like that, and who they've lost confidence. I mean, they still would say they believe it's true, but I think that they've lost confidence that they could say it's good and worthy of presenting to other people and, and, and worth persuading people to believe this and to look at this and to admire and, 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 and believe this to be true. So, so I think the reason why the importance of the thrill is necessary is because um, there's, only so, there's only so far you can go with a sort of apologetics proofs for the existence of God or the resurrection of Jesus or what not. Like, yeah, I mean, can I, can I make cases for the existence of God? Can I make a case for a creator? Can I make a case for Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. And I mean, yeah, I think you can make a historical case for these things. I think you could make a strongly philosophical cases for, for God, but none of that is going to go anywhere if people don't also want it to be true. And so I think persuasive argumentation in our day and age has got to give some attention to the beautiful side of apologetics, to the, to the heart's longings. So that, that people, I, I mean, take for example, a, um, you know, I mean, some of the challenging aspects of Christian teaching today, something like the, the, the doctrine of eternal judgment. I mean, there, unless you can actually help people understand that, yes, this is true because this is what the Bible teaches and we believe the Bible to be God's word and this is what he's revealed to us. And so, yes, that's going to be in our doctrinal statement and you're going to check off the box there. Um, un unless you can actually arrive at the place where like the psalmist, you can, you actually rejoice at the thought of God bringing about justice, right? Or, you, you know, unless you can start to see it as perhaps like the, you know, eternal judgment is like the defeat of Sauron and the, you know, the, the, the falling of Mordor and what like, unless you can actually recognize that evil is real and wickedness is real and that God is ultimately going to execute judgment and triumph and that creation rejoices to see that day unless you can begin to have a bit of, of that understanding, um, you'll, you'll never really come to terms with why even, even a doctrine that seems so off-putting would actually be a, a beautiful aspect of God's revelation. Um, and, and meant to, and, and at times actually meant to, 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 for us to, to approach it with a sense of reverence and awe and, and even, and even a, a bit of fright in, in a, and I don't think in, a, in an unbiblical way. Uh, unless you can get to that point, you may believe it, but you're going to lose confidence in why it would be worth talking about or or whatnot. And so I I just I feel like we've got to do that on a number of fronts, and I'm burdened about that for our generation. That I want to make I feel like every generation we got to make the case again. What is doctrine and why does it matter? And I thought for our generation, if I'm going to make that case, I want to make the case that it matters in unexpected ways. And that it's actually life-giving in ways that people, rather than just sort of nodding, yeah, yeah, I guess that's what we believe, but let's get to the, you know, let's get to the really exciting stuff or the practical stuff. I want to say, no, 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 hang out here for a minute. You know, hold out here for a minute. 
look at this. This matters more than you realize, and it matters in ways you may not expect. Would it be fair to say that in your previous book, at least I'm thinking of Rethink Yourself, what you did was you, in a way, took some of our cultural beliefs uh, and you showed how they fall short. They're not as beautiful as we think they are. It almost seems like this is the mirror image. You're taking the Christian story and you're showing actually it's much more beautiful and fulfilling than we could imagine. Was that a conscious thing or is, is that even a fair comparison of uh, the two books? Well, you know, Rethink Yourself, I really wrote for for in, really anyone who is either in church and maybe in need of some deeper discipleship without a lot of Bible knowledge, uh, or even, a, a, you know, someone who doesn't know Christ yet. I, I wanted Rethink Yourself to be a book that would unpack the, the meaning and significance of life as it's commonly understood in the West, so that people could recognize themselves saying, yeah, that's kind of how I view the purpose of life. And then I wanted to show why it's not working out for them so that they kind of can say, yeah, those pressure points, those ar areas of anxiety, I feel those. And then I wanted to bring the gospel to say, there's a better way. There's a better way of looking at, at life and, and whatnot. Um, the thrill of orthodoxy is not really written for a new believer or an, you know, uh, a, a Christian who's not really discipled or for, a, um, uh, or for an unbeliever. It's really written for the believer that, has lost that excitement or that is in danger of drifting in, in this way or that and really needs to be reawakened to the majesty of Jesus and the glory of the gospel. That's what, so if, if I were to put those books next to each other, I mean, there's, there's no question, it, depending on the person that I talk to, which one I'd pull off the shelf to give to, 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 to someone, depending on where they are, I think, in their, in their own spiritual journey, or maybe they're not even on a spiritual journey yet in their own mind, you know, that, that need to be. For that, I would go to Rethink Yourself. Uh, for the Christian who's been in church for a while, needs to remember why all this matters. Um, maybe has lost a bit. Some of the the the, the fun has faded of Christianity. I I would say I would give them thrill of orthodoxy and say, I, let let me remind you why this is amazing. Why the grace we sing about re really is amazing. Uh, how it really does save. Who God is. What He's like. And and why heresies are more narrow than orthodoxy. And the thrill is here, not in the new and innovative and, you know, teachings that would adapt the Christian faith endlessly. Mm. You write about four ways that we drift from orthodoxy. And what I loved about that section is I could, I could put faces to those four people. In fact, uh, probably I've been those four people at different points of my uh, life. Same here. Same and here. It's interesting, you know, I, th I think about people going through the motions or just living the faith. It just doesn't matter what we believe. It matters what we're practicing or uh, people who bristle about some of the hard stuff in scripture, or they're just wanting to make an impact. They don't really care about theology. As you think about all four of those, uh, all four of those are so, I think they're found in many of our churches. Are any one of these particularly unique to their age or have these four, do you think, been present in every age? You know, I think, I think all of them show up in different ways. I, but I, but I do think that, um, I think there are, are two that are particular to our age, maybe more heightened uh, to our age. Um, the, the, the first one is the, the, the pragmatic tendency, just focus on what we are to do as Christians. Don't, it doesn't really matter all that theology stuff, you know, like we, we do, we live in a very practical, pragmatic minded culture. So I do. So I think that that is, is one that it's, if not peculiar to our age is certainly heightened. Uh, it's, it's, 
it's been a long time coming. I mean, I traced the roots of that back a couple hundred years. So like, it's, it's not like it's a brand new thing, but I think that it's, um, people are definitely encountering Christianity for the first time asking, does this work? Not, is this true? Um, and, and it's good to know that like that is going to influence how we do evangelism and how we do apologetics and how we present the Christian faith, but you can't let it, you can't, Christianity isn't just about it, whether it works or not. Like at the end of the day, theology matters. You got to get to the truth question. So I think that one is, is unique to our age. And I, I think in the most, in the per, perhaps the one that you probably have multiple faces for, not just one, is, is being unsettled with aspects of Christian doctrine or truth. You know, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ for salvation, him being the only way to God. Um, Christianity's view of uh, 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 sexuality and marriage and things like that. that. I think there are a lot of Christians that are wrestling with, that, that are just like, I'm just, you know, I'm unsettled about this. This doesn't, this doesn't feel like good news to me. It feels like it's, you know, backwards or repressive or the world's saying this is harmful. Like, how do we handle this? Like, I think that one, uh, I think when it comes to Christian morality, that one is probably a newer feeling of unsettledness. Um, I, I think Christians are always unsettled by aspects of the Christian faith, depending on their context and circumstances and location. That's just a given because Christianity transcends all cultures. So it's gonna, you're going to feel, uns- if you don't feel unsettled about some portion of Christianity at some level, then you have to ask the question, is Christianity really confronting your, your idols, your culture's idols? But I, I think th- this one in particular today is a little more, the, 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 the pain is a little more acute because of the, the, the social currents that we are experiencing right now. My wife came to me the other day and was pointing out a church that uh, I admire. I was invited to come to attend a conference there. And the new pastor there had said, well, I hold, uh, I think, traditional uh, beliefs about uh, human sexuality according to scripture. But he said, it's really not that critical an issue. And, and he put it at the level of, you know, we disagree on COVID and, and different things there. And it led to the question, not just of, you know, what we believe, but the emphasis we put on different levels of belief, theological triage. How do we make sure, even if we're, you know, holding to correct doctrine that we're actually not making primary issues secondary or tertiary and vice versa, that we're not elevating relatively unimportant issues into primary issues. Yeah. You know, there's debate about what constitutes primary issues and secondary issues. And in different denominations, there's different debates, even within the denomination is like what constitutes our own sort of identity, right. As a denomination or as a, as a group or a family of churches. Um, and so, yeah, that, those are ongoing conversations. I, I think when it comes to the to the core of the faith, the core of the core, the bedrock, the Trinitarian core of Christianity, you really can't do better than the creeds that I put at the beginning of the book. Because I'm just like, I mean, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, like this is the core of the core. Who God is and what he has done for us. That's the scaffolding. That's the superstructure. You just, you don't get anywhere without that. So uh, that, that, like we, you really can't, say, you know, well, Jesus's divinity, you know, is an agree to disagree issue on like you, 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 you can't, you can't do that and continue to, to hold to, uh, to orthodoxy. Um, but there is, there is this tendency today, I think, to want to minimize the, what the creeds affirm or to take a minimalistic approach to the creeds to say, 
I'm Orthodox because I affirm these creeds, but anything that's not in the creeds, we can just agree to disagree on because those aren't essential. And to that, I would say that's not really the way the creeds have been used throughout history. You know, when Augustine had his famous debates with Pelagius, Pelagius was saying, we're, we're born, you know, we're, we're, we're born uh, um, innocent or we're born with, uh, um, you know, in neutral in some sense. Um, that, that, you know, we're not born into sin or that right, we, 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 we only simply consciously choose to become sinners and whatnot. Um, Augustine didn't go back to Pelagius and say, well, you know what, I guess you're right, Pelagius, that, that we, we don't really have a, 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 the, 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 the sinfulness of humanity from birth in the creed. So I guess, I guess we can just agree to disagree on this and we can just kind of have our separate ways. No, Augustine made it a point of orthodoxy and the councils agreed with Augustine, this is orthodox versus what's unorthodox, even though it wasn't explicitly spelled out in the creeds, the implications of what it means for Christ to come, for, for, for Jesus to come for us and for our salvation, that's all there. It's, the, the, the creeds are anti-Pelagian when you look at their implications. Um, and so I, I think we, we've got, a, it's kind of a, a weird position we're in now where you've got some people saying, well, marriage and sexuality, they're not really big deals. They're not we, we can agree to disagree on those things because they're not in the creeds. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, cannibalism isn't in the creeds. You know, like there's all, like, you know, like loving your enemies and, and, and uh, is not in the creeds. You know, like there, there are all sorts of things that parts of aspects of Christianity's moral vision that are implied by the creeds but are not explicit. And I would even say, um, well, while it's true that marriage and sexuality may not rise to the, to like to the to the creedal level in in an explicit sense when we confess that god is the father almighty the creator of heaven and earth we already that implies the goodness of creation the goodness of our embodiedness what it means to be male and female like all the implications that flow from that one statement of the apostles creed lead you right to the doorstep of marriage immediately like what does mar- what is the significance of the two halves of humanity coming together um, to to fulfill God's very first command to Adam and Eve, which was to to to, to fill the earth, earth and to multiply. So, all, all that to say is like I I wh- wh- I think I think what you can you, you see happens is when when people appeal to the creeds as sort of to take shelter under the creeds as a way of getting out from under the authority of Scripture. I just think it's a it's a disaster waiting to happen, and. And I mean, frankly, Daryl, you know this as well as I do. Like, if we've watched people the last 10 to 15 years, virtually every Christian leader or pastor or denomination that has said, you know, we can just agree to disagree on this issue, um, or has changed their view or adopted their view, uh, has altered their view of this, in virtually every case, uh, you, you see all sorts of other essential doctrines of Christianity go by, fall by the wayside. Which leads me to to something I say in the book is that this is a load bearing wall in the house of faith. Uh, this is not moving the furniture around. You remove this wall, the 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 structures collapse. And and what's fascinating to me, like even you you talk about a, a a pastor in a church who's saying this is not this is something we can agree to disagree on. The people who are going to be actually most against that position today tend to come from the left, not the right. It's the people on the left who are saying this is a gospel issue. Unless you are, you know, in, in, inclusive and uh, open and affirming and welcoming or whatever it is, 
uh, unless you change your view of sexuality and marriage, you we cannot walk further with you. You are abandoning the gospel. You are rejecting believers and brothers and sisters and rejecting the new thing the Spirit is doing and whatnot. So like those who are like it, few and far between are those today who are saying this is just an agree to disagree issue. People on both the right and the left of that question, the the traditional side and the revisionist side, both say, no, we can't just agree to disagree. And so I I would just say, you know, to the pastor friend that you're talking about, that that's not going to hold. It's not going to hold. They're going to be forced one side or the other to to make the choice. And to me, that choice isn't that hard. Uh, I I I think if 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 we can't trust that the church has gotten marriage right for the last two thousand years, what can you trust the church has gotten right? Mm-hmm. So like, if we've been this wrong on our Bible interpretation, then you know, then I I wonder like what 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 can you trust mm-hmm. that that the church has delivered well? Mm-hmm. So. Trevin, are there any particular theological issues that you're concerned right now that we're in danger of? Uh, maybe we need to shore up, or maybe we're in danger of losing in that particular area. Well, I mean, there's, I mean, there are quite a few things I think I could, I could point to. I, I, I am concerned that um, functionally, most of our m- m- most churchgoers are are universalist. Um, not, not necessarily on paper. You know, if you asked, hey, do you believe that people need to confess their sins and trust in Jesus to be saved? I think people would say yes. That's you know, that's why we send missionaries. It's why we, you know, we we give lip service to evangelism. Uh, but I think at the heart level and at the level of actually how we live, I think a lot of Christians simply say things like, you know, deep down people think, yeah, well, you know, I believe Jesus is the only way, but I. Now, there are good moral people around me that, you know, neighbors that, you know, may be sincere in their faith or non-faith or whatever that, you know, and in, in the end, you know, good people. I mean, it's just people are going to be okay. It's going to be yeah. like that, that sort of sense that eternal stakes are, are hinging upon uh, um, uh, the gospel and getting the gospel to people and people trusting Christ and crossing the threshold of faith. Um, you know, I think I think that's missing. I do. I think that's missing. I think part of it's a functional universalism, and even the even this there's a a bit of a reticence. I think there's I I, I even those that are are more evangelistic and those and you know that that have gospel conversations. And I and I would put myself in in this category. I want to be like that. You know, to talk about the gospel, to 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 talk with people about Jesus, and to not complicate things, but to just be uh, you know open about Jesus. I. There, there is a that that you, there is that reticence, and I I know that hesitancy. I feel it in my own heart to like, okay, to then call people across the threshold, you know, like to say, like to move from conversation to calling to say, mm-hmm. okay, you know, are you like, are you ready to like step over the the threshold and to like actually come into the house of faith to walk into the city of God, you know, um, I that's where the challenge is. Like you you can have conversations at the level of you know, and and as long as it's at the level of well, this is spirituality, and this works for me, and this is how the difference Jesus has made in my life, and whatnot. When you're calling someone to like turn their back on their old way of life and their sins, and to cross that threshold, it's just there's a hesitancy and a residence reticence there. And I I think it's I think it's because under that we we've lost something of the sense of eternal stakes 
and the 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 reality, the the felt reality of judgment. And functionally, we are, you know, if not a inclusivist, universalist in our in our in our perspective, because it's the air we breathe. And so yeah, I think I think we've got to to, you know, to to really drive that that point home and to find ways as pastors and church leaders to help people feel the weight of the weight of glory, the weight of heaven, the weight of hell, the weight of eternal realities. I mean, we're just drowning in trivialities. And 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 I and I I think that's one of the the tasks. I think we as pastors and church leaders have got to work on that for our own hearts, but then figure out how do we communicate the the weight of this glory to 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 people in our congregations in ways that will be felt and experienced not just believed sort of at a at a head level what advice and i'm asking this selfishly as a pastor um who you know sometimes i think i can drift a little bit into teaching mode and uh present a lecture rather than um what piper calls expository exaltation how can pastors help people rediscover not just orthodoxy, but the thrill of orthodoxy? Great question. Um, a couple of ways. One is don't like when you're preparing sermons and you're preparing to teach, and I'm doing this, my, I'm, I have to remind myself to do this. I'm not just expositing the text. I'm doing two things. Um, I'm expositing the text with an edge asking the question, where does this text run up against the sensibilities of people in my congregation and in the culture we're living in? Like, where's the challenge? If you don't have that confrontational edge aspect, I think preaching gets boring really fast. Because there's one thing to be talking about, like, you know, like just going through a text and be like, you know, God is love and this is that, and, you know, this is what the Bible teaches and whatnot. But when you actually expound it in a way that says, now, look, I know you're probably thinking this because this is what the world says, but Jesus says to you this, you know, like without the edge, it gets boring really fast. So like recently I, I was, I was preaching in chapel at Cedarville university and I, I did two, two sermons on the Lord's prayer. And as I was going through every line of the Lord's prayer, I was asking the question, what's the edge here? Like, where does this run up against, you know, our father, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the tendency to sort of lose the sense of the transcendence of God, you know, in, or, or, or the sense to be too individualistic, or hallowed be thy name in a world that's telling us to, to hallow our own names all the time, right? Like the, uh, or, you know, the, the kingdom of God coming rather than my own agenda and personal kingdom, you know, the, um, you know, the, 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 the asking for forgiveness and what. So in every single one of those, I was basically asking myself, where does each line of the Lord's Prayer have an edge to it? That if you really understand it, you recognize it's cutting against the sensibilities that our world is cultivating in us constantly. So I say one of the ways to recapture the thrill of orthodoxy is to have that edge, that, that, that missionary encounter and confrontation with the world. Uh, but th the other is, is the, so I, if one is the edge, the other is the encounter the encounter with God, the ultimate purpose of your preaching is not for people to remember the points of your outline or to remember the information you're presenting. It's to encounter Jesus, to, you know, to, 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 to be led to a point where you wind up worshiping. And that's really hard. It's really hard. I don't, I don't think I get there every, 
every time I preach. Um, I try to, but I, I don't. I, it's one of those to, to get to that moment where you feel like you got to take your take off your sandals, you know, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. Like um, I, I feel like that's one of the things we 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 can glean from and learn from the black church tradition and 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 preaching is that there's a a, a lot of times there's a point where you you are moving to a mountain like you are you're moving up to the mountain that I've experienced and where you're you're going to get back to the gospel or get back to this glorious vision of, of who Jesus is. So I think in order to do that though, you need to 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 have writers and preachers and people that you're talking to that that awaken, reawaken in your yourself a sense of wonder at the beauty of the gospel so that you can turn that diamond, you know, and get a catch the light in a different glint and a different from a different perspective. And I think that's necessary if if we're going to really lead people to that moment of encounter, awe, reverence, worship, you know, where they don't just walk away with a to-do list. They walk away with, you know, I, I heard from God this morning. That's ultimately where we want to get people. Man, that's so good, Trevin. Thank you for that. That's, that's amazing. Trevin, I wanted to uh, just ask you a question about your podcast. Uh, I really appreciated your podcast, Reconstructing Faith. And uh, it's been out for a while. I know it's being widely circulated. What have you learned in the process of creating that podcast? Yeah, I mean, we, I, I've, I've, this has really been an enjoyable thing. The first season has 12 episodes. And um, I'm, I'm really excited about um, uh, uh, episodes, you know, the, the season finale um, is going to have um, Ajith Fernando, uh, Jen Wilkin, and Tim Keller. Uh, just interviewed Tim yesterday for that. And, it's about it's about rebuilding the church. It's about um, the credibility crisis facing the church. A number of the different issues. I mean, we've done episodes. You know, for listeners that may not be aware, we've we've done episodes on uh, purity culture and the Christian sexual ethic, on uh, the arrival of social media and its formative influence in our lives, um, on the the question of authoritarianism in the church and abuse of authority versus the abandonment of authority, um, evangelicalism's history when it comes to race. Um, political engagement and what that looks like, the, you know, sex abuse, uh, the American dream. Uh, uh, we, we've even got a, a, an episode uh, that's very focused on C.S. Lewis and the, sort of the credibility that an apologist can bring to the apologetics task of evangelism when, when their life is consistent with their, um, with, with their, with their writing and their, their opportunities of, 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 uh, of speaking truth. So, it's really been a labor of love. I would say if there's anything that I've learned in in putting it together, it's that doing a documentary style podcast requires a tremendous amount of support from other team members and it and it requires a lot of cooks in the kitchen so that you can really serve up something that works the level of storytelling. I think that's been the big the 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 big learning piece for me is to how how, how do we we, how do we do an episode for 45 to 50 minutes that's going to keep people engaged where we, you know, weave in different voices and interviews and music and clips and, you know, you, you know, uh, news stories and, and all sorts of things, sound effects, all sorts of things to, to, to help people recognize that we're, you know, we're, 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 we're telling a story here. We're, 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 we're following a thread through something that keeps people engaged and listening and, and wanting to be involved. And it's a team effort. It's taken a lot of it's 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 been fun though because it's been it's it's got my creative juices flowing in a different direction uh, than what I'm normally accustomed to and so um, yeah I mean I just I hope I hope listeners 
will take this first season, these 12 episodes, and they'll go back to them and that they'll find them uh, to be really hopeful and constructive. Uh, less about, oh, here are the scandals and here's how bad everything is, and more about, okay, yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> how, how do we, but how do we rebuild? Like, what does is, what is the future of the church look like? What, how do we roll up our sleeves and actually be part of the change we'd love to see come to the church? They're really well done. The uh, quality of the uh, production is excellent, but the content is excellent too. I've really appreciated them. Although there was one that uh, troubled me a little bit. I was flying down the highway and it was a little clip you had uh, from C.S. Lewis saying that he didn't believe at traveling at a fast speed. So <laughs> right. I found that very convicting as I was listening to it. The whole series has been, that was the most humorous moment for me, just the juxtaposition, but the whole series has been really excellent. Uh, Trevin, I wanted to ask you, what has God been teaching you lately? You know, one of the the things that I've um I, I've I've learned lately is that I've I've tended to be, and I think this is just a feature of my personality. I've I've tended to be one who feels like I've got to be maximally productive and efficient, including even in the way that I do my 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 uh, you know my prayer time and my Bible reading and whatnot, and recently i've i've really sensed that i need to 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 slow down and to when in in doing my my scripture reading to take smaller smaller portions and and have them repeated and then and then to give some time for just quiet and meditation and silence rather than kind of working through my plan reading you know praying moving on to, to really give myself some moment to let truth really sink into my heart. And I mean, even this week, there's been a, a, a couple of things just personally in areas where I've been struggling, where I've really sensed the Lord speaking to me through his word um, and, and encouraging me in ways that have, have felt really fresh and, and, um, uh, and moving to me. So, uh, you know, this, this and that might be something that will encourage people that, that, um, are listening to this as well. I'm, I'm all about reading a lot of Bible. I'm all about saying a lot of prayers. You know, I, I generally work through the Psalter every month, you know, but, uh, but there's a way that you can do that in which you can actually miss the opportunity to even for 10 minutes or so sit with a small portion of scripture and repeat it and slowly, you know, work, work through that and then give yourself some space and silence to to ask God to speak to and and to ask the and and to ask the question not God will you speak to me through this but God what are you saying to me through this today you know um and and having the anticipation that that he is will respond that he is wanting to reveal himself through his inspired word to us so um you know that sense of an, anticipation and expectation i think is is really important i think God's slowing me down a bit in in how i'm encountering him these days and you have a fairly wide vantage point to view the church uh, within North America and beyond. What's encouraging you lately? You know, I mean, I think the the main sense of encouragement is that um, there's just a lot of faithful, plodding pastors who don't get a lot of airtime. Their their names aren't big enough to know when they're scandal. They're not big enough to know when they're faithfulness. And yet, they're doing really good work, and they're shepherding people. And there are lots of people. Everywhere I go, um, I'm meeting people who are just solid and faithful. 
and who are burdened for the church, but are also commissioned to help see a, a, a church be healthy. The, the the overall church and their local churches as well be healthier in the future. Uh, so I'm encouraged by that. And I'm also encouraged by just a lot of the good things that Christians do that don't get a lot of press and attention. I mean, Christians are on the front line. Whenever a disaster strikes, I'm just amazed. And I get, I, I have the vantage point to see this with, with Send Relief, which is, you know, uh, the, the disaster relief uh, side of uh, responding to crisis that, uh, um, uh, of the, the mission board that I'm a part of. I'm astounded at the extent and the depth of, of Christian, Christians volunteering and, and, and running with arms outstretched to the places where the world is in deepest pain. It's really astounding. No one comes close to Christians in doing that. And, I, you know, and it doesn't get a lot of attention because it's almost just assumed and expected. And I just take great encouragement knowing God's people are being God's people. There's salt and light all over this place if we'll open our eyes to see it. Trevin, I really appreciate your ministry. Your writing is consistently helpful. Your podcast has been excellent this uh, past year. And uh, what I love about your ministry is uh, not only your love for the Lord, but um, you have an ability, uh, I think, to translate theological truth in a way that really does help the, ch the church. And I appreciate that as a a pastor, somebody who um, has read a lot of your writings. So thank you for your ministry. And I hope that the thrill of orthodoxy gets a wide reading and is a blessing to the church. Well, thank you, Daryl, for having me on. And God's blessings to you and your uh, serving and writing as well. I've uh, benefited from you and your ministry and your encouragement for a long time. So I'm grateful to be able to, to have that mutual edification take place. Well, thank you, Trevin. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you too.